This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word and go with me into the New Testament to the Gospel according to Mark. And find, if you would please, verse number 7. Mark chapter number 3 and verse number 7. And we continue our study of Mark's gospel record. And as we come to chapter number 3 and verse number 7, we find here Mark in the narration, pausing just to give us uh, sort of an aerial view of the ministry of the Lord Jesus in Galilee, uh, a summary of his Galilean ministry. And uh, we see it beginning in verse number 7. We are going to, with the help of the Lord, try to look at the remainder of this third chapter. Uh, This morning, if we don't finish that task, we'll uh, certainly take it on tonight. Uh, Mark chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse number 7. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, A great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And he spake unto his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into an house, and the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of devils, 
casteth he out devils. I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse number 7. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples. I want, I want to speak to you on this subject this morning. Jesus withdrew himself. He withdrew himself. And as, as Mark sets the scene for us, uh, he withdraws himself perhaps at a very unusual time because uh, this is, uh, as many believe, to be the point where Jesus' fame and Jesus' popularity and Jesus' acceptance among the people is at, is at an all-time high. It will be uh, the highest point of his earthly life and ministry as far as his popular fame uh, is considered. And it, it, it certainly would have seemed the perfect time for this new king, remember Mark has announced that there is a new king, and it's King Jesus, and he has come as the king to preach the gospel of the kingdom, and it certainly would have appeared to the disciples of Jesus and to anyone who was seeking to follow Jesus that this would have been the time for him uh, to assume a position of power. I can hear the political pundits and the news commentators of the day. And uh, their advice to Jesus is, your approval rating is at an all-time record high. You certainly should assume the position of the king. And so it appeared that everything was coming together. And Jesus, at the time when it appeared that everything was coming together, decided it was time for him to come apart, to withdraw himself. I want you to think about the vantage of the disciples, their viewpoint. They are following this new king. They believe he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and uh, they are looking forward to his rule. But he did not come to establish his throne in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He, he did not come to assume a crown. He came to go to the cross. And that was a message that many of them struggled with and quite frankly never got until he died and then he rose again and he began to speak to them. There was one who got it. Her name was Mary. She had listened to him and she had sat at his feet and she understood that he was going to the cross. We know that because she is the one who anointed him and wept over him and, and broke the alabaster box to anoint him for the burial. She had discernment and understanding. And, but many missed the point. They, they did not realize that Jesus did not come to wear the crown. He came to bear the cross. And as a part of that mission, at this point in time, he withdraws himself. Now, I want you to write some things down this morning as we look at them together. And we see, first of all, number one, that Jesus withdrew from the crowd. He withdrew uh, from the crowd. Now, we notice some things about this crowd in, in verse number seven. 
The Bible says there was a great multitude. Here is this crowd, and it's growing. And we notice the regions that they are coming from. It is not simply that they're coming from Galilee, that area in which Jesus ministered. But they're coming from all over. The Bible says a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea and from Jerusalem and from Idumea, which is south of Jerusalem and beyond Jordan, that is uh, to, the, uh, to the east of Jordan. And then they about Tyre and Sidon, those coastal cities in Phoenicia and here we find that the people are coming from everywhere. And how did they get there? What brought them there? I want you to notice that. Uh, the Bible tells us in verse number 8, when they had heard what great things he did. Do you know what brought the people to Jesus? it was when they heard the great things that he did. You know, if our nation has any need today, it is not for political reformation. It is for spiritual revival. What we need in America is a turning back to the Lord. And by the way, what we need in our church is a turning back to the Lord. There are churches all over the landscape of Hickory this morning going through the motions as oftentimes we do that desperately need the touch of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and a return to the Christ who saved them. And so here they are. They are hearing about the mighty works and and may God's people be faithful to speak of the mighty works. And by the way, God does continue to do mighty works among his people. At this point in time, in, in Galilee, there are many mighty works that people are hearing about. There is Peter's mother-in-law who was healed. There is uh, the demon-possessed man who was in the uh, synagogue when Jesus was preaching and and who spoke out in the midst of his sermon, and, and Jesus uh, commanded the evil spirit to leave him, and he left him. And they said, we've never seen anything like that. And then they brought to him many who were sick, and he, he healed them all. There was the leper who said, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus touched this leper and healed him, and he was made clean. They heard that report. There was the paralytic man who was carried to him and they, they, they couldn't get into the house so they let him down. They broke up the roof and they let him down on his stretcher down into the middle of the room and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you and then commanded him to rise and walk and he did so. You see, there were many terrific, amazing, great reports of the mighty hand of God at work and you couldn't help but talk about what you saw and what you heard when you listened to Jesus and you met Jesus. But then you think about why aren't people being drawn to him today? 
Is it because that the mighty works of God have ceased? Is it because there's nothing for us to tell anybody about? Is it because perhaps we have sort of gotten over it? Do you remember the day that you came to faith in the Lord Jesus? You remember the, 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 the blessing of the life of Christ that was imparted to you and how the, there was joy unspeakable in your heart and you had to tell people what God did for you? Have you forgotten about the time you brought your burden to the Lord and, and you needed him in an hour of desperation and he heard your cry and he delivered you from that circumstance? Have, have you forgotten about that? It would do us well to remember, wouldn't it? It would do us well to rehearse in the ears of others what God has done for us. Our Sunday school study in all of our adult and teen classes is on sharing our faith. You know, they tell us that people who visit churches, by and large, the overwhelming majority of those who visit churches are people who were invited by someone who already attends that church. And I wonder how many days and how many weeks and how many months and how many years go by and we have not invited one person. We've not bothered to tell anybody about the mighty works that God has done. But when the people hear about mighty works, they want to see what's happening. And I would tell you that if we're not seeing the mighty works, it's not because Jesus is not able to do them. It is because his people have forgotten what he's done and have grown hard and cold and indifferent and unbelieving. I want you to look with me in Mark chapter 6 and verse 5. We find that Jesus is in Nazareth In verse number three, let's look in verse two. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? They could hear him, they could see what he was doing. Notice their response in verse 3, is not this the carpenter? No, he, he wasn't just the carpenter. He was the king. He wasn't just the carpenter. He was the creator. But they only saw him as the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, son of Judah and Simon. They said, we know him. We know his family. We know his brothers. We know his sisters are not his sisters, they said, here with us. And they were offended at him. Do you know there are many who are offended at Jesus, even oftentimes his own people? 
it's amazing when people want to, who are Christian, have a need in their life and you try to minister to that need and you try to speak the truth to them and it's not what they wanted to hear and it becomes an offense. You see, the Word of God can be offensive, right? And it is not that the purpose is to offend, but it is that the person that is hearing becomes offended. And if we're offended, it is because of our pride. And so here they are, offended at Jesus. Verse 4, but Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And I think verse 5 is pretty interesting, don't you? And he could do there no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. <clears throat> and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. The Bible tells us that the one who did the mighty works, the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who healed the leper and the paralytic man, the one who forgave sins, the, the one who commanded the demons and they fled from him, the one who taught with authority. The Bible said when he came among the people who should and who did know him the best, because of their unbelief, he could do their no mighty works. I wonder if, as a church, we will limit what mighty works God can do. I wonder if in our homes, with our unbelief, we limit what mighty works God you know, it is possible for us to constrain and, 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 and to put a limit on what God can do. I, I want you to go with me to Psalm 78 because I want you to see a time when it happened other than what we read of here uh, of Jesus in Nazareth. But in Psalm 78 and verse number 40, you have the record of Israel as they left Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness and in their wilderness wanderings, they, they were people who were always questioning God and wondering if God could supply the need. And any time they ran up against a, 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 an obstacle or a, a difficult circumstance, they, they would begin to murmur and they would begin to complain. And, and, and God, of course, was using all those things in their lives to reveal to them the, own, the unbelief of their hearts. The fact that they did not truly trust him. In Psalm 78 and verse 40, the Bible says, How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God. Notice this, please, verse 41. And limited the Holy One of Israel. And they remembered not his hand nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy how he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. What we find here is the same thing we find in Nazareth. The people, because of the unbelief and the hardness of their hearts, they limited what God could do among them, and therefore he was not able to do 
many mighty works, and therefore there's nothing else to talk about. And I, I think that we live in an age where we're not seeing the mighty works that we could see if we believed God, if we would follow God, if we would trust God for more. We could see God do mighty works. And when we saw them, we would be so amazed by them that we could not help but go out into our community and tell everybody we saw, man, you should have been there. You should have seen what Jesus did. And they would come. And so this crowd is coming. And it includes a number of various people. I want you to look with me in verse number 10 as we think about this crowd. They're coming. And, and what's brought them there? They've heard these mighty works. They've heard about them. And they want to know more about them. The Bible tells us in verse 10, for he healed many, or he had healed many, insomuch that they, that is the crowd, that is the multitude that gathered, pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. They wanted to get to Jesus. They just wanted to get near him. They wanted to touch him. They thought, well, if he healed that person, he can heal me. Imagine if if. We, we spread the news that Jesus, the healer, is here. You would find everybody you could and get them to Jesus. And they're pressing upon him. And we see here that this crowd that gathered was made up of those who were sick. Notice the Bible says, they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. The word plagues is an interesting word there. It means that uh, these are people who were literally perceived to be, whether it was right or not, I do not know, but at least the perception was is that they had a physical condition or a problem in their life that was the direct result of their disobedience to God, and the word plague carries the idea of being scourged or being whipped by the Lord. Here are people who knew they were being, uh, apparently, who who knew they were under the judgment and punishment of God. And, and because of their disobedience, they were suffering. And when they could take the opportunity to get to Jesus, they, they were getting to Jesus. That's the crowd that was there. It was the sick. And then there were the whole. You remember the whole, don't you? And what I mean is not the whole you fall in. I'm talking about the whole, the people who claimed to be whole. They weren't sick, but they were healthy. Remember what Jesus said, the physician doesn't come to those who are whole. He comes to those who are sick. And who was he speaking about? He was speaking about the scribes and the Pharisees who said, we don't have any problems. You're, 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 you're congregating, you're, 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 you're eating with those scribes, I mean with those sinners rather, and those publicans, that's the crowd that you, you've allowed to come into your presence. Don't you know who they are? We are the Pharisees and the scribes. We're the religious crowd. We're separated from them. There is no way we would ever congregate with them. We can't believe that you would claim to be a teacher come from God and, and congregate with that crowd because we're the crowd you ought to be with. We're the righteous crowd. Everything's okay with us. We don't have any problems at all. That crowd was there too. 
And what were they doing? Well, they weren't pressing upon Jesus. They were standing without with their arms folded and a critical eye and a snarky comment about what he was doing. They were there. And who else was there? Well, the servants, the disciples, they were there. And it is among this growing crowd that Jesus determines it's time to leave. And so he tells the disciples in verse number nine that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude. So he says, fellas, get a boat. Let's get ready because this crowd is growing. It's seemingly getting beyond control. And there's no way I'm going to get out of this crowd. So we're on the coast. Get a boat ready. We're on the seashore. Have a boat. I'll get in the boat. And we'll go the other side. Because it's time to withdraw. And so we again, we come back to the question we began with. And that was this. Why withdraw at this time? Well, I think John gives us some insight there. Uh, go with me to John chapter number 2. John chapter 2. I mean, again, here you are at the height of your fame. Your approval rating is through the roof. And who wouldn't approve you? You just healed their grandmother. If you heal grandma, you're, you're the number one doctor in town, right? You took care of my condition. So his approval rating is high. But Jesus leaves. There's a valuable lesson in this for us. John chapter 2 and verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. That is a very loaded statement. Man, many are believing. Look at this crowd. Isn't this wonderful? And John tells us, not of the same instance in Mark, but another instance, an earlier instance, that many believed when they saw the miracles, there was a fascination that the crowd had with Jesus. There was a fascination that they had. It was a growing fascination, but it was not an abiding faith. We live in a day where there's a fascination, an amusement, that people have, that churches pander to. And I, I don't think that we should be unnecessarily uh, difficult for people to get to. But I, I certainly don't think that Jesus tailored his message to draw the crowd. In fact, I know he didn't. And when the crowd was at its height, because they liked the miracles, they liked the show. I mean, who wouldn't like to see a paralytic man raised up? I mean, that's, that's pretty interesting. Who, who wouldn't like to see a leper cleansed? Who, who wouldn't like to see a... I mean, have you ever seen somebody have an evil spirit cast out of them? I guarantee if you saw that, you'd talk about it, right? You thought, man, if I could see that again, I'd go see that. I mean, that's pretty interesting. That's better than reruns of Andy Griffith, right? And so, 
They saw it, and because they saw it, they had a growing fascination with him, but they did not have an abiding faith. Notice what the Bible says here. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not. Now, this is an interesting thing. Jesus did not commit himself unto them. They said, we believe in Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe in them because he knew why they were there. You see, he had no room for the curious crowd. Why, why didn't he have room for the curious crowd? Because he's going to the cross. And the curious crowd will forsake him on the road to the cross. What he needed were committed disciples. Because after he went to the cross, after he suffered and bled and died, after he rose again and ascended up into the heavens, those committed disciples were going to do the work. The curious crowd was nowhere to be found. And so the Bible tells us in verse 25, he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He, could, he knew whether their faith was based on a growing fascination or whether it was an abiding true faith. And he withdrew. And that's why. I want you to see a second thing this morning. Not only that he withdrew from the crowd, but he withdrew to the called. He withdrew to the called. I want you to look in verse 13. Mark chapter number 3. And he, that's Jesus, goeth up into a mountain. Well, Luke tells us that Jesus spent all night in prayer on that mountain. And the next day, he calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. Now, I want you to note the phrase that he called whom he would. You know the choice was his to make. You know, that's the amazing thing about you and I. The Bible says that he, hath, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? I remember as a boy, we would play football anytime we could. And we'd always have captains. And the captains would pick teams. And... Uh, I was usually one of the instigators of the whole thing, so I was, and had the biggest mouth. I know that's shocking for you. <clears throat> and so I, I was normally the captain, but there were a few times when I wasn't. And while you're, while you're being picked, or while the draft's going on, there's, you want to be picked, right? I mean, you want to be chosen. You want to be picked. You want, you want to hear somebody say, I want that guy on my team. It's amazing to think that the sovereign God of the universe has chosen us. And by the way, we've chosen him. Because the Bible says he called whom he would, and notice this, they came unto him. So we see that the choice was his to make, but the choice was theirs to make. He didn't force them to come but he drew them to himself. 
and they came. And the Bible goes on to tell us here uh, in verse uh, number 13 and 14, verse 14, and he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. So here's the group. He's calling them and he is ordaining him. These were his followers. They are going to be the ones who proclaim his message after his death and his resurrection. They are going to be the ones who at Pentecost will be filled with the Holy Ghost. They are going to be the ones who will preach his message in Jerusalem. They will be the leaders of the New Testament church. They will be the men who are the instruments of God to pen the very words that the Holy Ghost inspired be written. And they are the men who pen the words that we read in our, in our Bible. So he ordained them. He, he, he called them. He appointed them. Now notice there's three aspects of their calling. First of all, in verse 14, that they should be with him. And I want to mention to you here that though we're not called as apostles, we are certainly called as believers. We are called. He has called us unto salvation. And he has called us unto service. And if you know the Lord Jesus, you are among the called. You don't have the office of an apostle, but you are a believer in Christ Jesus, one of his children. And so as we examine their calling, we understand some things about ours. So first of all, look here, if you would please, again. And uh, the Bible says he ordained 12. Now, here's one of the first aspects of the calling, that they should be with him. God has called us not to do something, although he's giving us something to do. He has called us to himself. Away from the world away from the crowd, away from the fascination, and into faith to come to him. That's the primary calling that he's placed upon our lives. Well, certainly they're going to do things in a public way. They're going to preach and, and all of those things. But the first call and the priority that was upon their lives as followers of Jesus was to be with Jesus. And here we are among the called, and the first priority of our lives should be that we would be with Jesus. Well, where is he? Oh, he's not hard to find if you know him because he dwells within your heart. Well, how do I know what he has to say? Oh, that's easy. You've got a Bible. Well, how do I know how to understand what he's saying? Oh, that's, that's even better. The Holy Spirit that lives within you. He's the comforter and he will teach you all things. You see, you can be with him just by simply opening the pages of his word and by bending the knee and saying, Lord, speak to me, help me. You can be with him just simply by obeying his command not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together and come together as the people of God to hear his word. You can be with him. So the call, the, pri the primary call upon their life 
was to be with him. And then secondly, we see that he might send them forth to preach. What did Jesus come to do? Well, he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And what does he want his disciples to do? He wants them to do the very same thing, to preach the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. You see, the Bible says that God hath chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost. The word preaching, it means to herald forth the message. God has a message that he wants delivered. And we see all the upheaval in our world. Factions of people pitting themselves against one another. And then factions uniting against another faction. And then those factions coming into conflict with each other. And we'll see more and more of that the more we turn away from God and walk in darkness. What do they need? They need Jesus. Where are they going to hear it? They're only going to hear it from us. So we have an option. We can sit on our hands and complain, or we can get on our feet and start telling people about it, right? He said, boys, go preach. And then in verse 14 we see, or verse 15, here's the third aspect of their calling in to have power to heal sickness and cast out devils. He gave them power. The word power means authority. Authority. If you go 75 miles an hour down 16th Street, you're going to probably see some blue lights flashing. You may get away with it a time or two. I wouldn't recommend it. But you'll probably see some blue lights flashing. And then after you stop, somebody will approach your car and ask for your driver's license. And you won't dare say to them, who do you think you are? You'll say yes sir or ma'am or whoever it is. You're not going to say, well, who do you think you are to pull me over? You're going to know who they are. You know why? Because they're going to have a badge and a uniform and they're going to be driving a police vehicle and they are themselves as individuals given power or authority to enforce the law. They're not the ultimate law enforcer but they have been ordained, set apart, appointed this task. And so therefore they have authority. And do you know what Jesus does for his disciples? He gives them authority. Now he gave them authority because of the uniqueness of their apostolic ministry and the time in which they were conducting it. He gave them authority to cast out devils and heal people of diseases. Do you know what authority he gives us? He gives us authority to go and preach in his name. I had a lady call in my years in Knoxville when I was serving, and she said, some of the people from your church came by my house. I just want to know, what right do you have to come to my home? 
And I didn't say to her this, but I thought this. The right that we have is the command of Jesus that we go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You see, he's commissioned us and he's given us the authority and the power to go in obedience to his word with him working with us, Mark 16 and verse 15. The power of the Holy Spirit, he has commissioned us to go and speak on his behalf. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Sometimes I hear people say things around here, well, the pastor said. Well, the pastor said. I'll be honest with you, I always get skittish when people say what the pastor said. Because you'd be amazed at how many times they say the pastor said so they can sort of get it their way. Or maybe they heard me say something, but they didn't fully get it, or maybe they got a piece of it, and by the time they say the pastor said, they're saying things that the pastor didn't actually say. I mean, it's a pretty big deal when somebody, at least it is to me, when somebody says the pastor said, and they got it wrong. Jesus is entrusting you and I to say what he said. And we better get it right. And the only way to get it right is to be with him. You see, whatever public ministry you think you'd like to have, it will never exceed the private devotion that you have with Jesus. Your public ministry might be confined to your home and your kids. And you're wondering, what in the world? And you're frustrated. And I've been there. And I'll be there again. But I better learn to get with Jesus before I get with my kids, right? I better learn to get with Jesus before I get with the person who's aggravating me at work or who said something about me. I better learn to get with Jesus because that's the call on my life. And I think if we're going to do what God would have us to do as a church, It'll only happen when the people of the church and the pastor decides that we're going up to the mountain and we're going to spend time with Jesus and then we're going to obey what he says. And so you see the Lord withdrew himself. He withdrew himself from the crowd. He withdrew himself to the called and God willing, as we'll see tonight, he he withdrew himself from the critics. And they're there, aren't they? I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you content to be in the crowd? You know, just run into Jesus to get something fixed. I need my marriage fixed, Jesus. Fix it. I need a new job, Jesus. Would you give me one? I, I, I need my kids to straighten up, Jesus. Would you straighten them up? I need help with my financial troubles, Jesus. Would, 
Would you take care of that for me? I got a diagnosis. I got a health problem. Jesus, would, would let me get to you. Let me just touch you. I just need a touch, and I'll be out of my, I'll be gone. I'll be out, I'll be out of, out of the way. Just need you to fix this problem for me, and that'd be great. Is that where you want to be, or do you want to be on the mountain with him, learning to sit in his presence? To know him, to love him, and to serve him. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.